This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And I know what you guys are thinking. Well, those of you who watch The Onside Kick and the Primetime Podcast, you're probably sitting there going, Ricky, well, audio listeners ignore this, but YouTube watchers, you're probably sitting there going, Ricky, that shirt looks familiar. I think I've already seen you in that shirt this week. I put it on, and before I left my house, like, I just put it on just to have a shirt on around the house, and when I left, I got here, and I was like, ah, crap, I wore this, I wore this yesterday for the onside kick, so you get me in the same shirt for two podcasts in a row. Usually, I don't like to do that, Brandon, because, like, I had a conversation with myself yesterday where it's like, I've got so many of these t-shirts, you gotta spread the love to all the t-shirts. You can never have the same t-shirt twice in a row. You had that conversation with yourself. With myself in my head. Just kind of like a no, Ricky, you can't do that. You've got so many t-shirts that you've invested money in. You can't have two in a row of the same shirt. But I guess you guys get it get it because I'm an idiot and it's warm in here. I don't want to wear my jacket for that one. So we're going to get right into it. What we're talking about today, we're looking at conference tournaments. Who needs a strong performance going into March Madness? We're going to look at the NFL Draft Combine, and we're going to, or some call it just the NFL Combine. We're going to look at Sam Darnold. Is it a big deal? Is it a no deal that he's not going to be throwing at the Combine? Then we're going to take a look at the FBI probe in college basketball, how that affects college basketball fast break. We looked at how it affects the NBA. You and I are going to look at how it affects college basketball before we get into all that real quick housekeeping number one if you want to support us you can go to patreon.com backslash most podcast that link down in the description that helps us do what we like to do for you each and every day here on mvp also you can check out the link for our mvp t-shirts i don't have it on right now but it's a pretty sick t-shirt that link down below in the description make sure to bookmark mostvalopodcast.com that's where everything for mvp is posted each and every day and last but not least if you listen to us on apple Podcasts, you have itunes make sure to give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. it would mean the world to both brandon and myself but b let's get right into it we're starting in the world of uh conference tournaments and i was looking today where there are some conference tournaments that start tonight, like some of the little ones. Then tomorrow, as we're recording this on Tuesday, tomorrow starts the first round of the Big Ten tournament. So I saw that, and I'm like, ooh, then we're going to get Big 12, ACC. And I'm like, oh, wait, the ACC and that, they finished their season on Saturday? Yeah. What What's up with that? Yeah. But We've got some overlap, so that's why we're talking about it now. I'm blaming the Big Ten, really, for why we're talking about it now and not next week. But I want to go to you first. We're going to get right into it. Give me your first team. Who needs a strong conference tournament either to stay in the March Madness hunt or get into that March Madness hunt? Well, I'm going to start off in the Big Ten, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Penn State. Okay. Uh, and Penn State, a team that sits currently at 19-12, and 12, Overall, they've lost their last three games. They dropped that close one on the road at Purdue, that mm-hmm. 76-73 to score. Then they lost at home against Michigan, 72-63. to And then on the road against your team, Nebraska, 76-64. They're one of those bubble teams. I think they're currently in Joe Lenardi's first four out. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that if they could have themselves a nice run in the Big Ten tournament, they could find a way to, I, I think, finesse their way into the tournament. But mm-hmm. they've got to be able to go somewhere here in the Big Ten tournament. They've, they've got to play up to where they were when they were playing Ohio State this season, where they swept Ohio State, mm-hmm. on, beat them on the road, beat them at home. If they can play like that... If that Penn State team shows up, I think that they can actually run the table there. Well, and the thing with Penn State, just looking at the bracket for the Big Ten, and I'm going to try to have it pop up for our viewers on YouTube right now, they actually get the first, they're one of the teams that gets the first day by. There's only four of them that get to play that Wednesday, which is Illinois and Iowa, then Rutgers and Minnesota are the lucky four that finished low enough to play that first day. But they play Thursday. It'll be 5.30 Central Time that Penn State will play Northwestern in the Big Ten Tournament. And the thing I like most about where they are in the bracket, yeah, you have to play Northwestern in your first game. You already know who you're going to play. They beat Northwestern already. They split this year. So they beat them at home 78-63. They lose 70-61 in Evanston, Illinois, when they went to play the Wildcats. If they can get past that game, that'll be a good win for them. But then who do they get to play in that next game? Which top four team did they get matched up with? The Ohio State Buckeyes, a team that you mentioned they swept this year. Now, just because they beat them twice this year already doesn't mean they're automatically going to win this time. But if there's, if I'm Penn State, if there's any of the top four that I want to play coming out of my first game in the second round, it'd be Ohio State because then I would say, hey, we know this team. We already know we can beat this team. We've beat them not once but twice, and that could give them the confidence to get to the semifinals where they could play. In my mind, they're either going to play Purdue or Indiana in that semifinal game if they make it. Well, if I'm uh, someone from the media, which we basically mm-hmm. are, I, I don't— Very low-end media. I don't think—whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I don't think that I would uh, want to be playing— uh, Ohio State because you have already beat them twice mm-hmm. and I mean it's I, I say the same thing in baseball it's really it, it's difficult to sweep a team mm-hmm. I mean so it's I mean it's impressive when you're able to go in and sweep a team especially if it's you know on the you know on on, on the road something like that so I think that that's uh, you know that's something that's tough to do and uh, that's why I get a little weary because mm-hmm. you already ex- you you got a lot of people probably expecting oh oh this is gonna be fine you know we've are we know Ohio State we've beaten Ohio State this is good mm-hmm. I don't know I think I you know I'd rather be playing Purdue because you just lost to them you know that you could beat mm-hmm. them that's who I'd want to be playing but. I, I still think you have to still have to get past day one yeah. and, and game one, which is Northwestern, which if it was Northwestern from last year, I'd mm-hmm. say this is going to be a tough game, but it's not. It's a, it's a Northwestern that's kind of back to being eh, mediocre, mm-hmm. and I, I think that Penn State should win that first game, should, being the key word, and then it'll be really interesting if they do get past Northwestern, how they fare against Ohio State, especially having the mindset, hopefully having the mindset of, yeah, we beat these guys already, but it doesn't matter. That's all in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ricky, when we've broadcast, and we we, we just got done uh, broadcasting a, a, a tournament, mm-hmm. 
Doesn't matter what happened in the past. No, it does Does not matter what happened. All that matters is the game in front of you right now and tournament time, everybody. the Teams like Penn State. Any given Sunday. Teams like Penn State are the teams that you have to be watching out for because they're the ones that are going to get up to play. Well, and the thing, the thing we enter right now is, like I said, the football term of any given Sunday can happen. But also, if Penn State wants to go, and I'm going to throw in my team also because – you spoiled that one with Nebraska. I'm going to put in the same boat where from now on, it's you've got to win what Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You got to win four in a row if you want to get that automatic bid, if you want to win the whole thing. Now, is people saying that Penn State's going to win the whole thing? Probably not. I bet the money is more so on Michigan State, Purdue with Ohio State, maybe Nebraska, but more so Ohio State being in that top three of putting bets on who's going to win the Big Ten tournament. The thing I like for Penn State that I don't like for Nebraska before I go full on with Nebraska is Penn State, if they do get to that conference championship and they do win that conference tournament championship, the possibility of teams. Now, I know upsets happen, so it's not a perfect world, but if no upsets happen, that means that they would play Ohio State, after they beat Northwestern. So they'll get to play the number two team in the conference. Then the next game, they'd play the number three team in the conference. And then barring any upsets, they play the number one team in the conference. So if you win out, there's a possibility that you're beating the one, two, and three team from the Big Ten, which throw that into the, it's hard to win three games. It's hard to beat the top three teams in the conference back to back to back in as many days That's what Penn State has that Nebraska doesn't. However, the thing I like with Nebraska is they are finishing the year strong. They are one of the teams that when you brought up Penn State, I was like, oh, like you're talking about the team that lost to Nebraska in the last game that we talked about? This is a team that since, let's say, if we went back since January 24th, one loss, and that was to my fighting Illini in Champaign, down in Champaign, then if we go even further back, ever since two days before my birthday, only two losses for this Cornhusker team. This is a team that only lost five times total in the conference, but really since January kind of started, they started getting it going. That 15th middle of January, they were off to the races, only lost two games. And the thing that's beneficial for them is now they don't know who they're going to play in that first game. Could be a number five Michigan, could be a number 12 Iowa, or crossing my fingers, maybe, just hoping, maybe it's a number 13 Illinois. Maybe. A man can hope, right? But if they do win that first game, no matter who they play, then in that next game, barring any upsets, you got to keep saying that around this time, but there's a good chance that they could play the number one team in that semifinal game. And I think that if Nebraska with where they are, just survive their first one and just get through it and win it. That's like the first one, whether it's Michigan, like Michigan would be a good win, but it'd be like, okay, that's a good win, not a great win. You then play Michigan State and beat Michigan State. That's one where it's like, okay, all right. You're a team that's, uh, you just beat a team that's either a two or a three seed, depending on what bracketology you're looking at all right, maybe you deserve to be in this dance. Maybe we got to look a little bit closer at you. And then if they make a run, they beat an Ohio State, they beat a Purdue, hell, even beat an Indiana. 
in that conference championship game, more so Ohio State and Purdue, then not only would they get the automatic bid for winning the whole tournament, then it would be like, all right, all right, you just beat two of the top three teams in this conference. What seating do we have to put you at now that you have that automatic bid? See, if I'm someone like I am on the outside looking in, I I would not want Nebraska playing Michigan Mm -hmm. because Michigan's really been on a roll and they're on a roll right now. I mean, just the way that they came out and they played against Maryland this past weekend on Saturday, they Mm -hmm. came out and they played really, really well. And they've got such such good uh, shooters on their team, especially from three, and they had that on display Saturday as well. Michigan's not a team that I would want to be playing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nebraska, if they're if they're matched up against Michigan, you know that, that that's an uphill battle. That's an uphill battle. I, I think even as well as Nebraska has been playing, like you said, to close out the the season and the year, that's great. But Michigan has equally been playing uh, just as well. So that would be a really tough matchup. I'd be really hoping for that other one, that uh, either Illinois or Iowa. Well, and I'm going to just throw out another team now. Another team that I think needs a strong tournament. And some of these, this one might be the one where people go, really? This team? I'm going to throw Duke out there. I think Duke needs a solid conference tournament because I'm looking at an article on 247sports.com And this is the one for Virginia where they're saying, like, oh, this is what the ACC tournament would look like if the tournament started today. Duke would be the second seed. I'm looking here. They'd play in the quarterfinals. They would win. So the teams that they could possibly play in that game would be either Miami. Then they would either play winner game two. Got to look at that. Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, or Miami. Now, Miami would be a tough team for them to play. Notre Dame-Pittsburgh, I think, if Pittsburgh got that far, Duke can handle them. But then they have the possibility of, all right, game 10 to 11, you're seeing maybe North Carolina in that semifinal game. And then most of the odds are that Virginia isn't going to get upset. And they go, barring upsets, they go to the championship game. So if there's no upsets, Duke has to beat a either Miami, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, then play the Tar Heels, tough opponent, rivalry game, then play a very hard defensive team in the Virginia Cavaliers. And just based off of, I know that their regular season's not over yet, but just based off of the last game that they played the night before we're recording this podcast, they lose by one point yet again to Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech's a tough team, but now you've got just in the conference, you've lost to Virginia already this season. You've lost to NC State. You've lost to North Carolina. You'll play them again on Saturday to end your regular season. You've lost to St. John's. You've lost to now Virginia Tech. And if they lose on Saturday, that means great. The top Out of the top four teams in the ACC, we haven't beat any of them. That's what I'm looking at if I'm Duke. Great. We lost to NC twice. We lost to Virginia, and we lost to NC State. They need to make a statement in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. Duke, uh, as good as they have been for most of the season, they really scuffled here in a couple of games in the second half. And and I think it kind of all started with that that loss to uh, who was it St. John's, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, I think that you know that happened, and and then they had another tough loss, and then they have this loss the other night, and uh, it's. Uh, 
It's a little uncharacteristic, especially at this point in the season. This is usually when they're starting to play a lot of their best basketball mm-hmm. and, you know, and moving to the conference tournament and then moving to the NCAA tournament. But I, I would agree with you. I think that Duke really has to get itself right and right the ship. Uh, Marvin Bagley looks to be uh, readily available and healthy now to play, which they're going to need him uh, if they want to be able to go anywhere in the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament. It really doesn't matter. They need him for both. Mm-hmm. And they also need Grayson Allen to, to start looking like the Grayson Allen we saw early in the season. Well, and the other thing I look at is I'm looking at the number one seeds right now for Joe Lenardi, Virginia, Villanova, Kansas, and Xavier. And I know that the committee, when we talked about that preview, sent a message, but I'm going to throw North Carolina in here also because they're also on the two line right now for Joe Lenardi. If, let's say, Purdue loses to an Ohio State, Michigan State gets upset by maybe a Maryland, Wisconsin, Nebraska, or loses to like a Purdue or Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. If then Duke or North Carolina could beat one or the other in the tournament, and then play Virginia in the conference tournament and beat them, my question would be, could one of those teams with a tournament championship jump into the one line over a team like Kansas, which right now, Kansas, six losses, Duke, North Carolina, same similar losses right around that 5-6 mark, where I look at Xavier, Villanova, and especially Virginia, Four and two loss. It's like you don't have enough losses to jump Virginia. I think Virginia might be a pretty much of a lock for that one line. Maybe just a one and done, and they could even be a one line. Let alone winning the whole thing. I think if Kansas, if if, if what you say, mm-hmm. what you, you if what you just said happens, if mm-hmm. Duke's able to do everything that uh, you said, you know, beat North Carolina, you know, beat let's say Virginia mm-hmm. in there, whatever in in their tournament and they win it, they're not jumping Kansas if Kansas wins theirs. You think so? Yeah, because they've equally kind of had, you know, Kansas has actually been playing a lot better as of late. They were scuffling kind of in the middle to late middle of the season. I thought, uh, especially when the, when early uh, February 11th, I think when When that way too early preview came out, that's when I thought when they were a a two or whatever they were, Mm -hmm. I'm like, please get out of here. But they've actually played a lot better since then. But no, I don't think Duke would jump them. I don't think Duke would jump them because they've equally had kind of a, I don't want to say a shaky season, but a shaky last couple of weeks of the season and if they both win their conference tournament, mm-hmm. then no, I don't think there's even really, in my mind, any question for Duke to be able to jump them. But, however, if Kansas does not win their conference tournament and Duke does win their conference tournament, then there's maybe a discussion there to say, okay, well, the two are, are similar uh, and pretty equal in how they did things in the regular season, but Duke won its conference tournament. Kansas did not. Maybe Duke is up there at the one, but I I I, uh, I I see that if they both win it, nothing nothing changes. Well, and the thing that here's the thing I want to throw out because we'll kind of pull the Big Twelve into this a little bit too is I wonder with either North Carolina or Duke if they can run the table and win their tournament, 
what to you screams more impressive for a resume? I know with Duke, the thing that whole body of work comes in where it's like, yeah, but you lost to St. John's and you did lose to possibly twice to the Tar Heels and you lost to Virginia already. Do we erase that just because you ran the table now? Duke might be a hard one. North Carolina might be able to do this, but with Kansas, the thing when it comes to my mind is the wins that you're adding. I would say that a win over Duke or North Carolina for whoever wins that game, and then possibly a win over a one-seeded Virginia Cavalier team would be more impressive than, as of right now, Kansas in their first game would play. Well, really, I'll ignore the first game because I did that for Duke and North Carolina. In that semifinal game, they would, if barring upset, they'd play the four seed, which right now would be the Kansas State Thundercats. I'm sorry, that's not as impressive as North Carolina or Duke right now. And then in that championship game, they're playing barring upset if we're just going top seed, either West Virginia or Texas Tech, which right now would be West Virginia because they're the two seed as we're recording this. I think Kansas State and West Virginia not as impressive as North Carolina or Duke, depending on who we're going with, and a win over a number one seeded team. Because basically you're beating a two line and a one line in your conference tournament. That's the only reason why maybe with a championship, even if Kansas runs the table, you put that into it a little bit. How tough is the Big 12 compared to the ACC? Yeah, I, I, you can make the argument at that point, but I still don't know if you're going to be able to make it uh, enough to to unseat Kansas as the one there. You got one more team you want to throw out? Yeah, I've got another one, and I, I, this may be a little surprising, mm-hmm. and it does come from the Big 12, and it's not okay. Oklahoma. It's Texas Tech. Ooh. Texas Tech has lost their last four games. Uh, you know, at one point it was looking like Texas Tech was going to be going on a roll to be able to win the Big Twelve, and and now not you know not necessarily out certainly not outright because right now of Kansas they, beating them the other night. Right now they got downgraded to a four seed on Joe Lenardi's bracketology. And I do want to say that I understand that within these last couple of games they mm-hmm. haven't had some of their best players. I know Evans has been injured; he hasn't been himself. Uh, and they still almost beat Kansas the other night, seventy-four to seventy-two. But they, we know that they're going to the tournament. We know that they're going to the NCAA tournament. I expect them to make it pretty far in the Big Twelve tournament. Mm-hmm. But what they need to do, because they were pretty darn good for most of the season, and I think they, I, I was surprised by uh, the Red Raiders to be as good as they were this year, to be as efficient, as effective as. Really, kind of a potent team. I just want to see them be able to get back to that, win a couple of games in that big Big Twelve, maybe even win the Big Twelve tournament to say, "Hey, we're back, we're good, we're ready for the NCAA tournament, and we want to be looked at as a real contender here. We want to be looked at as a real contender." And and let me tell you, is that. When I was watching uh, College Game Day this past Saturday, and they were Reese Davis was doing everything with the guys with uh, with Seth Greenberg and Jay Williams and um, Jay Bill, uh, you know all, all of them. I I, I think that uh, they all believed that Texas Tech was at least going to get to the Sweet Sixteen, possibly further. So mm-hmm. Texas Tech really has. A lot of really good potential, especially with this team when healthy, which it sounds like they will be for the for the uh, both tournaments. 
I want to see some good things out of Texas Tech to help reassert themselves as a strong team moving ahead to the NCAA tournament. Well, and the thing that I'll add before we do the last part we were going to do here, because we're kind of running um, with time on the camera, the Big 12 to me is going to be the most interesting conference tournament, only because we talked about them at the beginning conference play. Ooh, could this be the... Could this be the toughest conference? And depending on how you see it, yeah, it could be seen as the toughest conference, but it's kind of like the ACC's here, the Big 12 is here. Sorry for my audio listeners. ACC is up here. The uh, Big 12 is down here. You're competitive in your own mold, but you still have that conference where it's like, man, they're they're just a different level of team. They're a different level of seeding and like where Texas Tech is like on the four line. You could look at that and say, well, yeah, that's because the maybe the committee or like the Joe Lenardi's or that doesn't give the Big 12 the respect. It's all in the ACC because the ACC has the most teams right now. But I wonder if it's going to be, hey, our conference isn't as looked at the same way as like an ACC right now. We got to win this. We got to win this conference tournament, get that automatic bid. Then they can't say anything. Then they can't say, oh, you're out. No, I'm in. Here's my ticket. Go ahead and punch it. Punch it right now because I won this tournament. That's what could make the Big 12 tournament fun to watch and the most competitive, even though they're not the one and two seeds like we were talking about with the ACC. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that you're, uh, for the for the most part, go, going to get that. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we have to be excited this year that there's other teams to talk about in the Big 12 really outside of Kansas. Mm-hmm. You know, for how, how long has Kansas it's really overshadowed Kansas, everyone Kansas, else? Kansas. So for, for the first time in a while, the fact that, you know, Kansas wasn't going to outright win, win the Big 12, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of big news. That's kind of big news. And for Texas Tech to, again, be where they are, for West Virginia to still be around where they are, Oklahoma had the magic early on. They, they got to win the other night, so there, there's probably still going to be a lock for the tournament. They're certainly not going to be where uh, they were, well, you know, ten weeks ago. But I, you know, I think that uh, they're 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 still another team that'll that'll be there. So the Big Twelve is, is has come to play this year for sure. But the ACC, they seem to be a, a, a league an, excuse me not a league well they feel like a league of their own mm-hmm. but uh certainly a um what's the word i'm looking for conference mm-hmm. that's just always filled with talent when you have north carolina when you have duke when you have virginia there's te- those teams don't seem to ever get bad except for maybe you know once or once within a you know 5 year period here's how we're quickly going to end this rapid fire i'm going to give you a power 5 you just tell me the team. Well, you give a team, I give the team of who we think is going to win that conference tournament. You ready? ACC, go. Virginia. North Carolina. Big 12. Texas Tech. Kansas. Big 10. Purdue. Purdue. We're agreeing on that one. They're going to beat Nebraska in the uh, Big 10 championship game. Book it. SEC. Mm. Auburn. I'm going to go with Tennessee. Tennessee right now playing Mississippi State as we are recording this. Last one, the Pac-12. I'm 
I think I've watched a Pac-12 basketball <laughs> game this year. I'm going to go with Southern California, Arizona right now on the little bit of a downcline right now. Plus, how long is Sean Miller going to be out? I I I disagree with what I just said because I just <laughs> I just watched the other the night at, at the bar the mm-hmm. Oregon game um, against, against uh, Arizona. Arizona. So you're right, they are kind of on the downcline. Um, but uh, I'm still going to go with Arizona because I can't think of anybody else. Well, Arizona's a team where it's like they're streaky. When they're good, they're good. But they've had games this year where it's kind of like Duke, where it's like, really, you lost to that team? You lost to that team? Like that's a team you lose against? Plus the whole Sean Miller. FBI probe. We're going to get into it later. Kind of a little sketchy, but this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think. What are some teams that need a big March Madness Conference tournament slate? And who do you think will win each of the Power 5 tournaments or the small tournaments? If you want to tell me those, if you want to pick every tournament winner, I'll go ahead and read through them. So let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic. We're looking at the NFL draft, more importantly, the NFL combine. I can't remember. I got to look it up for who asked about it. We did have a comment asking us if we're going to cover the combine. Usually how we treat the combine because we're not there is if a story happens before it, either the onside kick or the primetime podcast will hit it. Otherwise, we'll kind of hit some main stories after the combine, after guys have worked out and what stories that we have following the interviews and stuff. But one going into that we didn't have yesterday when Mark and I recorded the onside kick was, I guess today it was announced that Sam Darnold will not throw at the NFL Combine. He's not going to throw. He'll wait for the pro day. So, Brandon, I'm going to ask you, Sam Darnold not throwing at the Combine, big deal or no deal? What do you think? I think it's a big deal. Uh, because Sam Darnold's supposed to be, you know, right up there in the the top group of the quarterbacks. With Could be number one overall. Exactly, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. I mean, all the all those guys, and they're all going to be there. They're all going to be throwing, and he's the only one who's not going to be. I think that that is a big deal, and I think it's a big deal because why would you not throw? Why would you not throw? And, and and it was Rich Eisen who called into the Dan Patrick show that I think made a really good point that Cam Newton, when it was his combine day, didn't have the best combine day. And it didn't it still didn't matter. He still mm-hmm. ended up going number one overall, but he showed that he wasn't afraid to throw to someone he'd never thrown to before and throw in front of people that he'd never talked to before. And be okay with it and have confidence and do it just like everybody else. And then cheer on and root on the other guys who are doing it just like everybody else. Sam Darnold's going to be there. He's going to be standing there on the sidelines watching as everyone else is doing all of that. And he's not going to be participating. What makes him better than anybody else there who's going to be throwing? And what makes him think that he can just stand there and not throw? Now, of course, it is a decision. He doesn't have to do it. I get Mm -hmm. that. But whoever is telling Sam Darnold that he doesn't have to do it and he shouldn't do it is giving him poor advice. I'm on the other side. I could care less if he throws at the combine. I could like I could care less if he throws. And the main reason why is like I get what Rich Eisen said on the Dan Patrick show, where it's, where I'm in the spot of I can see the other side. I'm on one side. I can see the other side of why you might think that it's a bad thing and why you think it's a bad thing if you're on that side. Whereas Rich Eisen said, 
you want to see that guy where it's like, I got that competitive fire. I got that competitive spirit. But really for me, it's like if he throws or if he doesn't throw, it's not going to change my mind of what I like with him. It's going to be the interview process. It's going to be the what I've seen on the field from him already, what I'm going to hear. Like, obviously, his coach is going to say nice things about him, but what I've seen in the game, like, if a guy's not competitive, it's not going to be like, oh, wow, he looked competitive at USC, but, man, he didn't throw up the combine. Not competitive. He's not competitive anymore. Didn't throw up the combine. So, I mean, that's to me where I'm like, okay, maybe we're making a little bit too much. Like, this might be a little flame that we're making a big flame. However, the thing that I will say, which is not good, is the last two quarterbacks to have not thrown, top quarterbacks to not throw at the scouting combine were 2014 when both Johnny Manziel and Teddy Bridgewater did not participate in the throwing drills. Now, the thing you got to remember with both of those first, like, they're both different circumstances. Johnny Manziel's was... I'm not going to throw at the combine. Then he threw at the Texas A&M Pro Day. And do you remember that Pro Day? That was the one where he had the music blaring and he was whipping the ball around. And basically it felt like a spectacle for that Pro Day. Really, he felt comfortable. That was what it was all about. With Teddy, it was the whole Teddy Two Gloves drama where it's like, can he throw with the gloves? Does he need to take the gloves? Oh, no, he didn't throw with the glove and he didn't look good. Does he need the glove? We were focusing on the gloves when it came to Teddy. Part of me goes, I don't really know if this matters for him, but the interesting thing that, and this is me not knowing Sam Darnold, not knowing his camp, but I would not be surprised if this is someone whispering into Darnold's ear, hey, if you want to play in New York, if you want to play in Denver and not play in Cleveland, they might pass on you if you don't throw at the combine. There's a chance. Now, I'm not saying that's a thing. We haven't heard about that anywhere. But that's what that's that, that's one thing that you got to think of also is it was even like Josh Rosen. Like, I believe before we came to the podcast, we were watching PTI and they even said like, oh, should the Browns believe Josh Rosen when he says, yeah, I'd love to play for the Browns after the comments that he made that he wouldn't want to play for the Browns and would not want to be the number one pick. I wouldn't be surprised if someone's trying to tell Darnold, hey, don't throw so that he doesn't get drafted by the Browns and they pass over him because of Cleveland's extensive history with quarterbacks. I guess I just think that if he's skipping throwing Mm -hmm. to prepare himself more for an interview, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're there to show your skills. Mm -hmm. And yes, interviewing is a skill. But let me tell you, a lot of good players don't know how to interview. True. Chris Johnson, when he was with Tennessee, he was an outstanding running back. He was really good. Mm-hmm. Guy got up there at the podium, couldn't form a sentence. Not a good interviewer. Not a good interviewer. Great player. Doesn't matter if if you got a good interview or not. You've got players now who will get up there. They'll give you nothing. A lot of people could say Bill Belichick sucks at interviewing. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick actually really smart at interviewing because he gives nothing away, shows no emotion, gets no drama around his team. Can't even understand but, him half the time. But that's the whole thing is that mm-hmm. is he a, is he a bad coach because he's not a, he's not no. good at interviews? No, he's outstanding. Mm-hmm. He's the best coach in the league. 
I, I think it's you're there to show your skills. You're there to go out there, run your 40, who gives a darn your quarterback. Um, you know, if, if you've got to, if, if you're fast, wonderful. You know, they can use you a little bit more. But you're not Russell Wilson. You're not... You're, and you're, you're not Lamar Jackson. You're not Lamar Jackson with his with his speed and with his athleticism. You're good, but you know it, it's you're there to throw the football. You're there to throw the football. You're not there to stand on the sidelines and wait for the interview, and then be like, man, well, you know, hopefully I gave a good interview. Mm-hmm. It's like whatever. Who cares? So Baker Mayfield's going to be there. He's going to throw at the combine. Now you, Ricky, you've said you're not so sure about Baker Mayfield because of his off-the-field issues. I was. Those have been cleared up by now. Okay. Okay. I'm off the... It's not a Johnny Manziel issue with Baker Mayfield. They're two completely different situations. Okay. About a few months ago, yeah, I was a little concerned with those. I was a little concerned. I'm off that wagon now. Okay. Well, I was never concerned Mm -hmm. because I didn't... I, I think that what he did was... Probably inappropriate, but mm-hmm. uh, not something that he uh, it doesn't define who he is. But he has a good day throwing mm-hmm. at the combine. Then you can forget about that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes again to show, like, you know, great, great, Sam, you had a great interview. How'd you throw? You didn't. Well, and the thing is, and this is also. How are you going to look at this also is even like I'm looking at what website cleveland.com. They're saying, well, it looks like the Browns are going to have to wait until his pro day in order to throw. But the one stigma that I've always heard about the pro day is that that day is it's like you and I when we talk about basketball or we talk about football where it's like, yeah, why didn't that team play well on the road? Well, when you play at home, you get to sleep in the same bed that you do every night. You can go through the same routine that you do every day. When you're on the road, it's, I woke up in a hotel today. I didn't get to sleep in my own bed. That could kind of play with you a little bit because you might not be as comfortable with that as sleeping in your own bed. Whereas in this, that's what a pro day is. A pro day should be nothing should go wrong on your pro day because you should be setting that day up to be like, I am welcoming these scouts into my home and they're going to watch me throw. I should not me- should not mess up a single pass. I'm throwing to my wide receivers, guys that I've worked, at, worked with my entire life here at USC. I'm going to be fine. Whereas, for example, at the Combine, Sam Darnold could be up there. D3 wide receiver comes up. A D2 wide receiver is there. A wide receiver he's not worked at before. And the thing that I think of, and I wanted to ask you this, because when we talked about Darnold in the past, like recently, this was one of the knocks that I know you have brought up. Could we be, and this is reading into it, this is nothing that Sam has said, this is us speculating on this. Could this be one where people look at the scouting report and how some people have confidence as a weakness? Do scouts take out that highlighter and go, Let's look at that a little closer. Let's look at confidence. Maybe is this a confidence issue of, well, I don't want to look bad in front of the combine with random receivers. I'll throw out my pro day where I'll be more comfortable, be a little bit more confident in my pro day than I would be at the combine. 
Honestly, Ricky, if it wasn't already something that had been brought up and that had been talked about with Darnold, I would say no. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with confidence. But since it has already been brought up, that has been a question around him, especially for this past season, I'll say yes. It does have something to do with confidence. And the fact that he's not quite there yet. He's mm-hmm. still not quite there yet. Could I be wrong? Sure. But I, I think that since it already has been brought up, that that has been an issue, that he has not felt as confident in, in himself in what he's doing, that to me, and then you're not going to throw at the combine. Mm-hmm. If I'm a team, if I'm a scout, I'm, I'm saying, you know, maybe we maybe we don't have him as high. Maybe we don't have him as high as we should because we need a guy who's going to be confident in himself when he's coming here. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. So that could be definitely playing into it. But again, I think that that's why it's so important that he goes out there, that he that he gets himself ready, goes out there and and just performs. Again, he doesn't have to be great. He doesn't have to be sparkling because a scout is going to find something wrong with you no matter what. They're mm-hmm. going to. That's their job. Yeah. But go out there and at least man up, get out there, and do it. Mm-hmm. I At the end of the day, I look at this, and I personally do not think this is – on surface level, this is not a big deal to me because whether you throw at the combine, whether you don't throw at the combine – I get, like, I'm going back to Rich Eisen's point of we're not going to learn new things about you. We're not going to say, like, ooh, didn't know he could make that pass. No, I've seen the tape on you. I know what you can do. For Sam Darnold, I've seen two years of tape on you. I should at least have a pretty good idea up here of what you can do skill-wise. But it's the extra question. Like, the stuff that we don't know. Is this a question with his confidence is this a premeditated mood by move by the people in his camp to whisper into his ear so that he doesn't get drafted by the browns because that's always thrown up when the browns are going to be drafting people and if it like i look at it and i go if he doesn't get drafted number one because of this not saying he will not saying he won't but if he doesn't go number one to cleveland because of this it's not going to affect Sam Darnold's career. It might. There's a better chance that it might end up better for Sam Darnold's career because of the tra- like the track record I mentioned with the Browns and quarterbacks. They just drafted one last year, and they're already looking to get rid of him. I know he's not a first-round guy, but they already drafted one last year after passing up in the last two drafts Deshaun Watson, and now Super Bowl champion, yeah, it was on the bench, but he's a Super Bowl champion, Carson Wentz. Like, if I'm Sam Darnold and people are talking about, ooh, this could be the reason why I pass you number one, looking at the track record of quarterbacks that Cleveland's passed on, fine, pass on me. Because that means I'm going to be better off than if you draft me. Because your track record of drafting, comparing to not drafting, is lopsided into the guys you've passed having better years. And if I'm Sam Darnold, and if I'm Sam Darnold, I go out there and you've made you you've made your decision. Mm-hmm. You're not going stand to by it. stand by it and don't listen to the chatter. Don't listen to the chatter mm-hmm. and and the speculation that we are making. And you know just. 
you know, hold hold firm, you know, and uh, I don't necessarily agree with his decision to not throw, but I can respect that he's made his decision, mm-hmm. he'll stick with it, and that'll be that. Here's what I want to ask you. Two-part question. Number one, because he doesn't throw, do you think this will, in the end, affect whether or not the Browns take him? And if you think the Browns will not take him because of this, either if it's because someone else throws better or not, how far do you think he will fall and what team might get him in the draft? I don't think this is really going to affect him at all. I don't think Cleveland's going to take him. I think they're going to go in a different direction personally, but I, I don't think that he's going to fall. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that this is really going to affect him that much. Uh, that's why, again, I, I think it's when I said, and, and some people might say, well, Brandon, then why do you think it's a big deal? Mm-hmm. Well, I just think it's a big deal that you're the only quarterback that's not going to be throwing. You're the only significant quarterback that's not going to be throwing. Now, that makes it a big deal. Mm-hmm. If you weren't throwing and maybe Mason Rudolph wasn't throwing and, you know, or you and Allen weren't throwing, something like that, then, you know, it's not as big of a deal. You're the only guy. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. It makes it a big deal then. But do I think that's going to significantly impact where he's going to go in the draft? No, I don't. No, well, I don't. If a team if a team likes you already mm-hmm. and has liked everything they've seen, has liked what they've seen in-game, has liked your workout habits, has liked your consistency in what you do, that will not change by standing on, a, on the sidelines mm-hmm. and not throwing. My, but, oh. but it will question. It could question a, a team, why isn't he? Mm-hmm. Why isn't he? How I look at it is the only thing that this could determine is if the Browns don't take him number one because of this, there's not going to be a quarterback taken at number one. If the Browns decide, hey, we're not going to go at Sam Darnold because of questions from the combine, the only thing that that will mean is that Saquon Barkley will be the first name that is called on draft day. Because I would think that if this deterred the Browns, from taking him, that on draft day, the Browns will go, let's take Saquon, let the Giants do whatever they want. We know the Colts aren't going to go quarterback. Let's reconvene and think about this at number four because they've got the one and the four. So if it's like, yeah, you know, we like this guy, but we also like Darnold, we're unsure. The only thing it's going to mean is that Saquon Barkley is the number one pick and he's going to Cleveland. That's the only thing in my mind that this will mean. It won't mean that Baker Mayfield jumps to one or Rosen jumps to one. It'll be, yeah, let's go with a running back and then figure out this quarterback situation with pick number four. Then knowing the Browns, they'll sit on their thumbs and be like, ah, let's trade the pick, and then he'll be great for whatever other team that he goes to. Maybe win a Super Bowl in two years. Hey, maybe Deshaun Watson wins the Super Bowl this year. Gets injured, throws a or gets injured. Brock Osweiler backs him up. And just like Nick Foles, Brock Osweiler wins a Super Bowl in 2018. What if that happened? What would you do? I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's not. It won't. But it won't. With would, Brock Osweiler, it won't happen. What would you do if, like, Deshaun Watson brings the Texans to the brink, last two games in the playoffs, Brock has to play, and he finally turns it on and wins the Texans the Super Bowl? Brock Osweiler's not with them anymore. No, I'm saying I would. he's going to be the bad. I'm pulling that he'll be the backup. Somewhere, and I'm hoping that the Texans resign. I just want Brock Osweiler in the league because I love saying Brock the cock cock a little do, baby. Uh, that's nice that you like saying that, but he's <laughs> awful. No, he is. 
He's, he's awful. Him. I mean, for $70 million or whatever ungodly amount of money they paid him, he's really bad. Brock, like, really, and that was Osweiler, the only one I quite think honestly, of. I don't think should be the backup. He mm-hmm. should be the third stringer. Maybe that guy that they say is inactive each game. TJ Gates? That guy. Besides just Sean Watson, there's a reason why the Texans went up and traded for him. I'm actually looking at their depth chart right now to end this. And their quarterbacks, yep, TJ Gates and Tom Savage are both uh, Tom free Savage. agents right now. Only Taylor, Savage. Taylor Heineke, I think that's how you say his name, Heineke, doesn't matter, he doesn't play. This is where you guys come in, let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. Do you think it's a big deal, not a deal, a little deal that Darnold's not going to throw at the combine? And what do you think is the reason he's not throwing at the combine? Let us know what you guys think in that comment section. But, Brandon, let's move on into our final topic. And what we are looking at today is a topic that ever since Friday, I'm assuming that you guys, Brandon, myself, even Dave from the Fast Break, have been anticipating what we were going to talk about when it came to the FBI probe for college basketball where there's tons of, like, Guys in the NBA like Dennis Smith, Isaiah Whitehead, guys in the NCAA like Miles Bridges has been named, DeAndre Ayton has been named, where these players, agents have been paid money to make sure, like, for example, with DeAndre Ayton and Sean Miller in Arizona, that Sean Miller paid an agent $100,000 to make sure DeAndre Ayton signs with the Arizona Wildcats, and this has already kind of broke and affected college basketball already because people are talking about it negatively. Sean Miller wasn't coaching the Arizona-Oregon game, and also we've already seen in the recruiting field is Shaq's son had already decommitted from Arizona, I believe. So here's what I want to ask you, Brandon, just very open-ended with this. With the FBI probe, the Sean Miller, DeAndre Ayton, We've got other players named, other coaches and schools involved in this. Very simple. How is this FBI probe going to affect college basketball in the long run? Uh, well, you know, quite honestly, is what I hope it does is that I hope it gets this is a final wake up call to coaches and programs to do things the right way to do things, I I guess, uh, ethically, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you continue to do things the way that uh, many places are doing them, it's not just Sean Miller at Arizona. You know, it's, I mean, you can, you you know, throw out a school. You Mm -hmm. can guarantee that they're doing the exact same thing, just haven't been caught. And it's been like that forever, forever. I mean, that is sports and life. There are going to be people who are trying to get ahead, and to get ahead, they will do things that they're not necessarily supposed to do. But what I hope it does is I hope that it weeds that out and gets us all back onto a more level playing field. And what I think is interesting from that and that people have also brought up is that does this start to help do away with that whole one and done Mm -hmm. in college basketball, and we move almost completely 
away from that. And if we do then, how does that affect the very big one-and-done schools of Duke, of Kentucky, of, I mean, you know, name, you know, insert name of school that has a lot of one-and-done players going there. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the big ones right there, but a lot of schools will have them. Uh, You know, it's not just them for sure, but do we fully now move away from that because we have to get, you know, the the guy's not just coming here for the one year. Mm -hmm. He's he's going to be here for a little bit, uh, a little bit, and it's not going to be as, I don't want to say as competitive to get him, uh, but uh, as competitive to get him. Well, and here's the thing. I'm looking at ESPN. They've got a whole list of schools, so potential impermissible benefits and uh, preferential treatment for players and families, Alabama, Duke, Kentucky, LSU, Maryland, Michigan State, NC State, North Carolina, Seton Hall, Texas, Southern Cal, Washington. Schools named with the former ASM sports employee Chris Dawkins, expense report, Clemson, Kansas, Louisville, Michigan State, South Carolina, Texas, Southern Cal, Utah, Wichita State, Xavier. Schools that had players and families listed to meet with Dawkins, Alabama, Creighton, Duke, Iowa State, Kentucky, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Texas, Vanderbilt, Virginia. Active players that have been in this, Alabama, Colin Sexton, Duke, Wendell Carter, Kentucky, Kevin Knox, Michigan State, Miles Bridges, South Carolina, Brian Bowen, Texas, Eric Davis Jr., USC, Benny Boatwright. And like I said, former players as well, Dennis Smith, Isaiah Whitehead have been linked to this as well. That's the number one thing, though, what you mentioned that I think this means is because of this, and we talked about this on the fast break with how it, the NBA side of it, the one and done to me is done. This is the beginning of the death of the one and done, where I assume the NBA will come out either this offseason or soon and say, we're done, you can come out of high school. Because their whole thing is they want to make the G League a thing. And Adam Silver basically wants to say, yeah, I'm distancing myself away from college. I don't want, like like Dave, Dave brought up during the fast break numerous times, NCAA and NBA, not associated. I get that. But the whole agreement, whether it's not spoken, is they go to you for a year, they come to us. Most cases, they go to you for a year, they come to us. That won't have to happen. So my first thought is, how does that affect college basketball? It's not going to kill college basketball, but those one-and-done talents that we have seen, the Jabari Parkers, the Jaleel Okafors, the DeAndre Aytons, they're not coming to college. Yeah, they're bypassing it. Take them away. They're gone. We're going to get guys that want to be here. However, if you compare like it's still going to be competitive because you're still going to get guys – that want to be in college, but you're not going to get those athletes that we would seen seen in the one and done era. We're going to get guys that, you know, I'm going to college. I stay for one, two, like it's going to be a mixture of guys who I'm going to college for a degree and a mixture of guys where, Hey, you know what? I'm not a one and done. I'm a two, three and done guy. I'm going to go to college rather than the G League and the NBA. Well, I just want to I want to bring this up very briefly mm-hmm. because I know we're college, but how big of an impact would that then have on high school? 
It would. And would no, they? Would. Are, and you know, are they then? Then does the problems that the mm-hmm. NCAA is currently facing it has been? Recruiting. Does that sh- completely now shift down and trickle down into high school? It which, does. Let's be honest about it. It's happening everywhere. No, it does. So now is it going to put a bigger spotlight on high school coaches, mm-hmm. players, and recruiting styles? And how they do things because they know these players. They they are talking as much with the coaches, and I'm sure maybe not as much with mm-hmm. with um, help me with the word with uh, agents. Yeah, but uh, probably not as much as college coaches are. But I'm sure they're going to be playing. Some, they're playing some role in there well, of, of where they could go and where that agent might want them to here, go, where they might have a better chance of getting a better deal NBA wise, which gives the mm-hmm. agent money, money, ching, ching, ching. And that's so what I was going to say. That's really interesting. It changed this getting rid of the one and done changes the recruiting field for college basketball. Completely flips it on its head and changes everything because all those rules that you had. Like the whole agent thing, for example, just a microcosm one. If I'm, let's say, Zion Williamson, because he's right now. Um, first off, if let's say the NBA this offseason or during the playoffs said, we're getting rid of the one and done rule after this draft class. Next draft class, you can be one and done. Like Zion Williamson might be like, well, not exactly him because he'd already have to, like the draft would have passed and he'd have to wait the year anyways. But guys in high school would be like, why do I want like the ones that are good enough to go, why would I want to go to college? Like and then college go, well you can't deal with an agent. Well bye, I'm not dealing with you. I'm dealing with the G League. I'm dealing with the NBA. So I'm gonna talk to this agent who's gonna be my guy and he's gonna make sure I get the best money in the NBA. It's gonna change recruiting for that. It's gonna change recruiting also because now guys like these coaches and these college scouts are going to be in high school gyms along with NBA guys. And I wonder if college schools then, if the one-and-done rule goes away because of this, if the guys that are on the Anthony Davis level, the DeAndre Ayton level, the, like, I'm a top-ten pick level, the Lonzo Ball level, if college coaches eventually go, we're not even going to waste our time on him because he's going to the Like, he wants to go to the NBA – I'm not going to waste my time on him. It's a Cardell Jones situation. We ain't here to play school. We're not going to, like, it, for coaches, it then becomes, all right, who am I targeting? I got to figure out the kids that want to come to college, don't want to go to the G League, don't want to play in whatever pro situation, because basketball, they got to figure that out, too. What are they going to do with the G League? Are they still going to have a one-and-done thing? Can you come in right from high school? It's going to be interesting to how it changes recruiting, and coaches are going to have to adapt to it quickly because if the one-and-done rule goes away, it's going to be like, oh, right, everything changes, and if you don't adapt quickly, guys could be falling out of your commits, and you got to find guys to fill that squad for your college basketball team. So now let me bring up something that's a little bit interesting. It's a little bit on the other side of the coin. So in college basketball, Mm -hmm. it is... Not allowed okay. and wrong and unethical to pay a player for his talents or to pay, to pay a player more for his talents and to try and pay a player more to come to your school. Mm-hmm. And as I saw this very well uh, written on mm-hmm. SI.com, 
take out sports, take out athlete, yep. insert singer, insert uh, this this career, insert that career, and guess what? Mm-hmm. You are paying more for them to come because they're good and you want them to work for you. That's what the you do in the real world. You will overpay to get the best person. Mm-hmm. And how about this? Going back to sports. Florida State turned Texas A&M football coach Jimbo Fisher was given a huge lucrative deal mm-hmm. to come and coach for Texas A&M. They overpaid, I'm sure, to get Jimbo Fisher to come to Texas A&M where then he can recruit guys mm-hmm. to come in and play for him and make him look good with his nice millions of dollar salary as the players get Nothing. And Brandon. now I, I, I stand kind of in the middle on both sides because I see things over here that, okay, here's really good reasoning why mm-hmm. we don't pay them. And then over here, here's like, here's really good reasoning why we should pay them. But it's it's just, if we did, we wouldn't have to worry about this. I am, like how you said you're in the middle with this, I'm on the other side. Pay them. Find out a way to pay them. For example... I think back to both when you and I were in college and both you and I held a similar position in college where we were at the radio station on the same level of pay where my pay was, I got a thousand dollars a semester. Divide that by 16, like let's say 16 weeks is, let's see, a thousand dollars. I'm going to divide that by 16 weeks. That's about. $62.50 a week, however, you're not getting paid every single week. So divide that by two, you're getting about 31 bucks every two weeks. Or how it worked out, I think I was getting more. I think I was getting more towards the Um, $62.5. It was a good amount to where I'm like, okay, at the very least, I could take this money and I could buy food. I could buy food with this money. Like, I think there is no reason... Why we can't figure out some way to pay these players. Does not have to be NBA-level money. Doesn't need to be these big contracts. It just could be enough to just live. Because the one thing that I hate about the college thing is football, basketball, you tear an ACL in, let's say you tear an ACL or you do some career-ending injury. Great, I'm not getting that money. I'm not getting that NBA money now. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? The other thing that complicates this is we just think of football and basketball. If you pay football, you got to play basketball. If you pay basketball, you got to pay women's basketball. If you pay women's basketball, you got to pay the baseball and softball teams. And lacrosse and swimming and diving. And, you know, every single thing. That's why for me... I am, I'm not torn, but I'm not the best person because I'm on the side of, yes, pay them, but that's above my pay grade to figure out the details. I don't know how that works. The thing I find funny, though, about this is looking at the NBA, two guys that were just in college a year ago that both play for the Lakers, I found it funny how opposite they are on this whole FBI thing. Kyle Kuzma, who has been linked to this FBI probe with Utah, when he was asked about 
if NBA player college players should be paid. He said his exact quote was, I don't think it is the right time to really say too much about that all or about that with all the stuff going on. They asked then the same question to Lonzo Ball, who, let's be honest, didn't have to worry about money, had dad. He had the big ball, like he had the ball family, didn't have to worry about an agent paying for him to go there. The balls were going to UCLA. It was written, the prophecy was written, he was going to UCLA. They asked him the question, did you hear what he said? No, I didn't catch it. Everybody knows everyone's getting paid. That's just how it is. Everybody getting paid anyways, you might as well make it legal. I love that. I love it. One guy over here who is linked to it, I don't think it's the right time to talk about this right now. The other guy, hey, you know you're getting paid, right? Why not pay everybody? Why not just pay everybody? And he's right. Why not just pay them? Even if it's something. I mean, I, I I can fathom that they could get something to work where everybody gets something, even if, even if it's like, okay, if you play this sport, you might get a little bit extra, or if it's a tiered system, everyone, we know every single sport's not going to get the pay, same thing, but I'm assuming we can get something that works out, that works out for the system that college well, athletes can get paid. Well, well, but see, here's the issue then, mm-hmm. is that that could then quite simply turn into a Title IX issue. Mm-hmm. Because if you're paying, if you're, if you're pay, no, but if you're paying football mm-hmm. this much, but you're only paying women swimming and diving that much, oh boy, you best believe, especially in today's culture, mm-hmm. that someone's stepping in and that is not gonna go well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- I mean, there's issue number one. So when you say, well, you know, they may not all get paid the same. Well, they darn well better mm-hmm. because they're gonna have to. Otherwise, you have a bigger issue on your hands, and the NCAA has a bigger issue that they do not want. Now, hold it. Is that I I, I did a project mm-hmm. in college where I asked this exact question for one of my classes. This is what I w- was very curious mm-hmm. about, and I wanted to do a I did a little documentary on it. And I spoke with our athletic director at the university. I spoke with our football coach. I spoke with a softball player. I spoke with a basketball player, a baseball player, another basketball player. And it was a mixed array of things. It is. And it was it was really interesting, the responses well, that you got. And I want to interject for two seconds. Sure, the you got that, two seconds. Go. The thing that's different also is that both you and I went to a smaller college. If you do it at the big level... How does that affect the smaller guys that aren't getting that ESPN money, that broadcast money that a D1 school's getting? Well, it's funny. So we called the basketball game for mm-hmm. the for the school that we, where we went to college and and I'm talking with our athletic director who we have a, a good relationship with and I'm we're talking about exactly mm-hmm. this paying and, college and, athletes. and Sean Sean Miller what happened and then we got into yes the paying college athletes and he was talking about his time when he was at UIC mm-hmm. and you know he was talking with a you know a family and and about a, a player to you know come there and everything like that and uh he said that the the dad came up to him and said, "Well, you know, what are you what are you going to give me if uh, you know so and so comes here?" And he goes, 
nothing. <laughs> We're not, you know, Notre Dame. We're not mm-hmm. Duke. I like I can't give you anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get that here from us at, at, yeah. at UIC. If you want something, if you want, you know, the steak dinners every Tuesday, you're going to have to go to North Carolina mm-hmm. or Notre Dame for that. You know, we can't give that to you here. So that's a really good point to bring up because that's going to be then expected from families mm-hmm. and from players all around. If you're paying college athletes and stuff like that, they they want to be able to get the nice car that you know. So you know, Joe Blow over here is getting uh, because Reggie he plays Bush. because he plays at USC. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you said his name, uh, you know, you <laughs> Reggae Bush. you're you're not going you're not going to get that. Your USC up here is not getting the same thing that mm-hmm. Crumbs is getting over here. You know, you're certainly not. And then that's that's, you know, disparaging in and of itself because of the fact that it's it's not equal at all Mm -hmm. at all. I mean, let alone equal between men's sports and women's sports, Mm -hmm. just school to school. You know, it's it's really interesting. It's really difficult. And there is no easy answer. As many people want to make it an easy answer, and trust me, I wish we could. Well, because it's like, where where, are you going to get the money from? It's got to come from somewhere. Well, my gosh, let's just dip into the $100 million we made from advertising this year. No, I know. know, know, But but see, here's the whole thing. will that be enough to pay all the sports? Here's the whole thing. Here's the thing. Exactly. That's a great point to, to, to say. But here's the reason why I do get a little upset about it, especially when mm-hmm. you're looking at NCAA. I mean, NCAA is completely different, obviously, than if you're talking an NAIA or anything mm-hmm. like that. But NCAA, you as an advertiser, a coach, uh, a program, you are making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of kids. Mm-hmm. Off of kids in college. Off of kids that we call adults because they're over 18, but they don't feel like adults because they're not getting paid. I, I mean, it's that's why I stand in the middle because mm-hmm. I am not I'm not fully on one side. But and I know people hate those people who mm-hmm. just sit on the fence. But I, I, I have a leg over on both sides. I'm just well, I haven't jumped yet. But it's because it's frustrating mm-hmm. when you know that. You asked the question, where would we get the money from? I gave you at least one answer. You know, but some of that, some just, of that advertising let's money. The, let's use the example that you used D1 to NAIA. NAIA school isn't going to have that kind of funds that they're getting because ESPN's not coming to broadcast on college game day every Saturday or whatnot. They don't have those deals. And another thing that makes it difficult, especially at football and basketball, college basketball what we're talking about right now, is the whole thing about going pro, kids aren't coming to college. Like, you're not going to get the Andrew Lux, where I remember it was a big deal with Andrew Luck that, yeah, I'm going pro, but I'm finishing my degree. Not everyone does that, especially one and dunce. I'm here to play basketball. Cardell Jones, we ain't here to play school. You get that. It's This is a means to get to the pros, whether it's football or basketball. And the thing that I look at, too, is that's another reason to it. Where, like, for me, my major was music education. And for somebody who's in a music department, it's not like I'm going to play clarinet in the band and 
Oh, my, I'm going to do that to go then to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and I'm one and done and then going to the orchestra. No, that's not how <laughs> it works. What do you mean? You weren't? How, how it looked for me is, hey, I'm getting this music scholarship. That is my pay. That is what they are paying me to do my service. It just goes towards tuition. College athletes, you can't really do, like, you can't make that because if they're Really going for their degree, yes, you can look at it that way. Okay, my athletic scholarship is my pay. But once you add in the factor of going pro and the one and done with college basketball, most of them are, I'm only here as a means to get to the NBA. School doesn't matter, so your scholarship to me doesn't really matter. Like, And how many of those guys get full rides, that would be another thing that would be interesting because – then the university is basically giving them money to play for them so that they don't have to pay to go to the school, which then hurts. And it's like, great, that's more revenue that we can't get to then use to maybe pay the athletes if we wanted to. Yeah, well, it's interesting, uh, kind of with what you were saying, that what was uh, what I'm going to bring up here was there was an article written at our school newspaper when we were still in school, at least mm-hmm. when I was still in school. And it talked about basic, basically um, – NARPs. It was an it was an article about NARPs, which for those who do not know, a non-athletic regular person, and obviously, so people who do not play mm-hmm. uh, any sports, uh, and there were a lot of athletes really ticked off by it. I mean, that was probably the most read article mm-hmm. by anybody at the university. And basically what she was saying is that athletes get these perks, they get, uh, you know, special treatment, they Mm -hmm. get this, they get that. But I think that people forget that athletes, they don't have a lot of time to themselves. Mm -hmm. They are hooked in to their sport. They have practice at all different times every day. Sometimes they have two practices a it's day. It's like a full-time They're, job on top of school for most for it, some of exactly. them. Exactly. If you're at if you're at like an NAI school, I've got this all day, I'm traveling and like I'll say for example, not to cut you off, but like some of the athletes we saw this year with the season we called, oh yeah, it does all this 4.0 GPA, 3.5 GPA, dean's list. So it's like You've kind of got two full-time jobs on top of each other in most cases. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in players all the time, you know, doing doing homework on the bus, traveling, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, in the hotel room, whatever it is, you don't have during your season and honestly, even for good parts of your off season, you don't have time to yourself. Mm-hmm. You do not have time to yourself or as much time as you would like. You're on a regimented schedule. You're going to class. You're going to practice. You're going to class. You're going to the game. You're doing all that stuff. I, I'm not trying to say, oh my gosh, athletes have it so hard. We should feel bad for them, but we should understand where they're at. It takes are a they, certain kind of character. It does. And are, are you know, <clears throat> are they... Do they? I don't want to say. Do they receive some sort of special treatment? I don't want to say that that's true. You know, are they? Because because special treatment. Oh, they they get out of their class to be able to go play their game, but yet they still have to turn in the assignment or they have to take the test at a later date. Yeah, it's really special treatment. Without I the, don't think without so. the help of the lecture though either. Well, Let's yeah. say they mix, miss that lecture. It's like how many times have you missed a lecture for being sick? And it's like. Fuck, I don't know what they're, I don't know what to, like, what, what do they want from me? Hey, so-and-so, you were, what do they want from us? Like, I've had that experience where it's like, most of the time it was, 
Fuck, I should have just went to that lecture, man. I didn't have to sleep in. Now I don't know what the hell to do. I'm just going to do something. I still I still remember, though, the the season when when we traveled with the team for mm-hmm. the for their national tournament. Mm-hmm. The, well, way back 2012. Way, way back 2012. And we had, it wasn't during spring break, so mm-hmm. we had to take the week off. And I talked to my professors. I'm obviously not the athlete. I'm just traveling with the team to mm-hmm. call the games and stuff like that. They still were good with it. They still yep. supported it. Is that special treatment? No. It's understanding that your student, this is what they want to go and do. Mm-hmm. You're going to support them in it. Just like a professor would be, hopefully, because there's some out there well, that don't, and screw them, but that there's professors who see that and they go, of course, I have nothing wrong with that. That's what you're here to do. You're you, yes, you're you're you're, you're uh, an academics first, but you're an athlete. Well, we we thing. have as if if you're a professor, if I'm a professor, we as professors then have to understand and work around that. Especially if you're a good student and mm-hmm. you're trying, you're not like just you know blowing off class and stuff like that. That's another thing. So I don't call it special treatment. I call it. People working with people, you know, mm-hmm. and professors working with students and stuff like that. And they and wanted to try and say that the athletes, part of the article was athletes, oh, they get um, they get uh, preferred registration and stuff like that right at the beginning. Yeah, because they need to know their classes so they can work around their practice times. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, let me tell you, I got an answer for you probably on about every <laughs> single one of those things that that uh, this person wrote in their article back back in the day. But I think it it brings up good points. She mm-hmm. she brought up she brought up points that I don't necessarily think were accurate, but she brought up good points so that we could say, wow, athletes really don't have it as easy as everyone thinks oh they're an athlete they just get everything they get all these meals paid for and blah 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 well you know they should well and one of the things for me just behind of that of like you said well of course they got to pick out their schedule another thing you got to look at across all levels of college like a national signing day for example where working in an admission office for college there have been times where let's say signing day was wednesday well, that Friday before, coach emails you, hey, what about this student? Ah, coach, like, he's going to committee. His application has to get reviewed, and we just met. He's not, like, committee doesn't meet until next next Friday, let's say. Ah, but can we really get him reviewed? Like, we've got signing day on Wednesday. All right, coach, let's see what we can do. Most times than not, hey, executive director, can you look at this? Looks it over, yes or no, so that they can have that decision, because – like that I don't see as always like, oh, he's getting special treatment. It's, hey, I've got this rule set by college football that I got to make my decision by this day and my application can't wait. Like I can't wait to know after signing day. I got to know before so that I can make that decision. Or like we've had coaches sometimes go, well, this kid's coming up from out of town. Can we get this reviewed now? So like if he's denied, I'm not going to make him make the three-hour trip to come see the school. So, I mean, there's some things like that. And, of course, we could go on for days about this. I want to bring it back to what we're doing. Final question, just kind of to end it all. At the end of the day, what do you think the FBI probe is going to mean for just college basketball? How is it going to affect college basketball in the end? Make your prediction. Uh, Well, I I think that we're going to to be seeing – 
we're not going. I don't want to say that we're not going to be seeing the top level talent mm-hmm. because I think that we're still going to see a lot of really talented athletes. I mean, I think we see a lot of really talented a- athletes that aren't one and done players. So I think that's you know that's it, it, that's simply said. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking cream of the crop guys that we have, when you look at the like the top five potential draft picks, mm-hmm. and multiple of them are one and done players. I don't think that we will be seeing as many of those moving forward thanks to this FBI probe. But is it something that probably needed to happen to give somebody or multiple parties a wake-up call? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do believe so. I am fine with getting rid of the one and done. I think the one and done is dead. I think this. if I'm putting my money on it, this will be the last draft class of the one and done. I think the NBA is going to get rid of it. They're going to revamp their G League. It'll compete with college basketball. And the NCAA will have to either put up or shut up, where it's like we're now fighting for the same talent pool, and the only guys that we're going to get out of, like, the top ten, let's say, are if you've got a guy like Miles Bridges. It's like, no, I want to go to college. I want to win for this coach because I've built a bond with him. Yeah, That's the only way you're getting one of those. I think that the talent will dip a little bit. It's not going to be a huge dip, but it's going to dip a little bit because I think for sure if you're a top 10 projected pick, you're going to go play in the G League or play somewhere else, an alternative that's not college if you're maybe a lottery pick or even top 10. And I just want to say, again, Mm -hmm. I don't think that this destroys college basketball in any way. Like as, what's his name, Mark Emmert, the Mm -hmm. head of... Uh, NCAA and NCAA kind of said, "Oh, this could you know be destroying college basketball here in America." Yeah, it could destroy it, what we're used to right now. Yeah, I don't but it think that it's it. going to be you know destroying college basketball mm-hmm. in America. I think it's going to be forcing coaches and and people to change to the way that they're doing things and adapt to change. It's it's something that happens all the time. And do we need to change? Yeah, we do. We're we, afraid of it. As we, most people are afraid of change. Many, many people are afraid of change, especially uh, when if that goes if the change is means that you're not going to be getting as top mm-hmm. of talent as you always have been. So that's the type of change that coaches for sure will be afraid of. Well and this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down in the comment section. Wanna well, thank you guys if you're listening on YouTube, this is the only sec- segment you listen to. Thank you for checking it out. If you listen to the whole thing on YouTube, listen to the whole podcast on podcast services around the world. Thank you guys as well. A little housekeeping here at the end. If you like what you heard, like what you saw, want to help support MVP, go check out patreon.com backslash most valid podcast. Every bit counts in order for us to do what we love doing for you guys each and every day. Number two, you want to get yourself some MVP merch, get an MVP t-shirt. That store link is in the description as well. Make sure to check out patreon.com, or not patreon, mostvalidpodcast.com, backslash mostvalidpodcast. You can check out patreon.com. I'll sure. it again. Sure. Mostvalidpodcast.com. That's where everything for MVP goes each and every day. And last but not least, make sure to give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. I want to thank you guys for watching. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.